done so. Second Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. Everybody say the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. I like that, the city of David. I'm not going to give you all the backstory, but uh, David, when he was leading the armies of Israel, there was this city, and they, they taunted him. They said, you'll never take this city. You'll never take this city. David took the city and renamed it David City. What a flex, huh? Like he planted his flag. He's like, it's going to be called the city of David from this point forward. Anyway, going on. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with the sounds of trumpets. Verse 17, last verse. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. For the next few moments, I'm going to talk to you on this thought. Bring back his presence. Bring back his presence. You may be seated, giving God one more round of applause in the tent. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a room and you were like physically there, but you weren't mentally there? Like, like you were physically present, but you weren't really present. If some of you are thinking every Sunday, Pastor Josh, don't say that. I'll come down and lay hands on you right now in Jesus' name. Have you ever been talking to someone and they're like, you know their cell phone goes off and they start getting real squirmy and you're like trying to tell them something important but they just keep like, eh, they like got to check. And you're like, man, I totally lost their attention. They're there but they're not there. You see, parents, how many know what I'm talking about? I'm that guy that I'm like, just check your phone for crying out loud. You're not even listening to me. I'll do that. I'm like, check it. You got it? You good? Okay. And it used to be that I would do that to young kids. Now I do it to all my like 60-year-old friends too now. They're just like, I feel like this, the, the older generation, you know, they're just, as dis- they're just as distracted by Facebook as a young generation is by TikTok. Anyway, um, people, people are there, but they're not there. They're present, but they're not present. And I want to talk about that and kind of use that as an analogy as we talk today at our first sermon series, our, our, I'm sorry, our first message in this series that we are calling Dwell. Now, I got to tee this up for you because I'm going to talk a lot about the Ark of God, but you need to know what the Ark of God is. So if you go back to the history of Israel, there was this time when after they came out of slavery and in Egypt that they were in the wilderness. Somebody say wilderness. And it was in the wilderness where they were learning to follow a brand new covenant with God. The Lord had established a brand new covenant with Moses and his people. Covenant just simply means it's a relationship where there are mutual expectations between the two parties in that relationship. That's called a covenant. Your marriage is a covenant. And so God led his people into a new covenant and then he tells Moses what I want you to do now because we have this new covenant is to build an ark now the ark was just a big box and it was plated in gold it had angels on top of it and they put different contexts um, different contents and relics from the wilderness inside of the ark such as the Ten Commandments. They took the two tablets of stone, they put them in there. There was other things that went in there as well, but, but really the Ten Commandments was the most important thing that they put inside of that ark, that big box. And, and, and it moved with them in the wilderness. Everywhere that they went, 
the ark was moved and the ark actually went before them. Now, why that matters is that that ark represented the presence of God. That ark represented the presence of God. Y'all, y'all tracking with me so far? And I have to teach that because some of you, the only thing you know about the ark, the ark of the covenant is what you saw from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. All the young people in the room are like, what is he talking about? It was a movie before you were born, okay? Shut up, all right? I get it, you're young, we're not. And so I wanted to give you a little bit of the story of the Ark of the Covenant because, again, maybe the only thing you knew about it was that movie. But what I think is fascinating about this is, and I want you to get this, God entered into that covenant with them in the wilderness. Somebody say wilderness. I'm going to just take a little detour and preach on this for a moment if you let me. This is the first thing that I want you to know. God meets you in your wilderness. God meets you in your wilderness. I'm going to take it a step further. God will meet you differently in your wilderness. God will encounter you differently in your wilderness, and God will teach you differently in your wilderness. If you are wondering, like, Pastor, what in the world is a wilderness? It's an analogy to any time you are going through something in your life. I'm talking about a difficult season in your life. That's a wilderness. Maybe you're dealing with sickness. That can be a form of a wilderness. Maybe you're dealing with some depression, anxiety, stress that could be a form of wilderness it's any season in your life where you know that you are really going through it that is the wilderness and you might be wondering why is it God that you will encounter me differently in the wilderness than you do when everything's going great here's the reason why you don't seek God the way you do when you are in the wilderness therefore you don't hear from God like you do when you're in the wilderness Let me pause right there for a second. It's not that God's not talking to you when you're not in the wilderness. It's just you're not listening. Because God is always speaking. Too many times we're distracted. I mean, everything's going good in life, so we're just too distracted. You got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, so you're just too distracted. You ain't got time to hear from God no more. You got all kinds of stuff going on in school, all kinds of things going on in your marriage, all kinds of things going on in your life, and so you don't pay attention. So for those of you wondering, why does God move differently in the wilderness? Because you move in the wilderness. You start to pray more. You start to fast more. You never fasted until all hell broke loose in your life. And then all of a sudden it's like, God, I need you. And he starts talking to you as he's always talked to you. You're just more aware of him because you are in your wilderness. And I love that God spoke to them at that moment and said, now that I've got your attention in the wilderness, I'm going to go into covenant relationship with you. And it always seems that God will do that. It always seems like when you feel like the night is darkest, that's when God's voice can be the loudest. It always feels like when you're going through your greatest struggle, that's when the voice of the Lord is most clear. It doesn't have to be that way, though. If you would learn to carry with you that same energy into a a season of joy and into a season of plenty and into a season of happiness, you can hear from God all of the time. But unfortunately... And all too often in our American culture, things start going good and we think, oh, I don't need God. My grit got me here. I don't need God. My drive got me here. I don't need God. My ambition got me here. Or sometimes you get real spiritual. My convictions got me here. I'm just like so spiritual. I mean, I watch all the TikTok preachers, you know, and, and, and I'm just so spiritual. And that's why I'm at where I'm at. 
As a matter of fact, I don't even need God. You don't say it, but you act like it. And so in the wilderness, it seems like he's most clear, and it is just because we tend to lean in more. We, we posture ourselves to hear from him more. And what I love is that even though you might be thinking, man, Pastor Josh is salty. I can't be a little salty when I talk about this, but you need to know this. God's not salty. And if you lean into him, he will lean into you. And, and he does that because he's a good, good father. And when you call out to him, he's going to answer. And when you need him, he's going to be right there. He never stops being there for you. He never stops speaking to you. But make no mistake, when you come to God and when you run to God, he's not going to sit there and say, hold on a second. I'm going to wait till you get yourself cleaned up and then I'm going to answer you. What I love about God is he says, come to me as you are. Come to me with your addictions. Come to me with your destructive behaviors. Come to me with your bad habits. Come to me with your mess and I'll still take you in. Why? Because you're my son and my daughter. And all that mess in your life doesn't disqualify you. It don't make me happy. It doesn't mean that you're disqualified. I love you just the same. And that's what I love about God. He is always there. But, but, but make no mistake, he'll bring you in and then he'll get you cleaned up and say, now go and sin no more. That's, a, that, that's something that a lot of churches don't say enough of. Remember that woman that they brought out to Jesus that was caught having multiple affairs with multiple people? What did God say after he after he brought her to this place of forgiveness, he said, now go and what? Sin no more. And don't be going back to that mess. Don't go back to that vomit. Don't go back to that lifestyle. Don't go back to that habit. So that's the good news. That's the good news. And that's a little, that's a little intro on the Ark of the Covenant. It is God's presence here on this earth. Now, something crazy happened because they, as long as Israel had the Ark of the Covenant, they always felt very they, 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 they were very courageous whenever they had the Ark of the Covenant. It's like that little kid who's like older brother's an MMA fighter. You know what I mean? It's like he don't care who's going to get in a fight with. He's got big brother to back him up. So Israel was like that a lot. They'd go into wars. They'd go into battles. And they'd always be victorious because they had God with them. But one day, because they kept going through the motions, but they really didn't have any fear of God, their enemy, the Philistines, captured the Ark of the Covenant. One day, the Ark was taken by their enemy. And those guys took the Ark of the Covenant and they did something very, very funny. They put it inside of their temple and they had their own false god by the name of Dagon and they put the Ark of the Covenant right in front of their false god. They had a statue in their temple, the false god Dagon. And listen, the Ark was a problem because they put the Ark inside of the temple and then the Bible records that the next morning, Dagon was on the floor bowing down to the Ark of the Covenant. And the priests walk in and they were like, oh, snap, what happened? Dagon fell. Maybe there was an earthquake. Let's lift him up. So the Bible says they, they lift up Dagon. They get him back to where he's at. And it's kind of like a meme. You know, it's like 24 hours later. Uh, and uh, all the young kids know what I'm talking about. They come back into the temple and there's Dagon on the floor again. But this time the statue of Dagon, the head was cut off and the hands were cut off. Ooh. That's wild, isn't it? That's wild. And, and, and the Philistines were like, hey, we ain't playing games no more. Let's get this ark out of here. The Bible says they took that ark and they moved it to another part of the land. And it didn't get any better. They dropped that thing in the community and everyone on the block started getting tumors. Everyone on the block started dying. And that's when they were like, we've got to get this thing out of here. So they had captured the ark in battle, but they got that thing and they returned it right back to Israel. They say, you can have this back. We don't want it. It's causing Dagon to fall. 
It's causing all kinds of mess in our life. And what they learned is the first lesson that we have got to learn about the presence of God. And that is this. The presence of God is to be feared. The presence of God is to be feared. You might be thinking the fear. God, I want to be fearful of God. Well, here's what Proverbs 9, 10. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we fear God, we find wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When I say the fear of the Lord, I'm not talking about I'm afraid of God, but what it is saying is there is a reverence that I have for God. There there is a respect and there is an honor that I have for the presence of God. Where are all my folks in the tent that grew up in the old church? They taught us a lot about the fear of the Lord, right? Y'all remember that? You couldn't even run up on the platform. You'd get like spanked, put on timeout, discipline. You know, it's like you couldn't even touch the platforms. Like, get off of there. You know what I mean? It's just God dwells up here. You know, it's like there was a certain fear of the Lord that we had that I think in the new church we've kind of forgotten. We've been singing all these contemporary songs about you're a good, good father. And it's like, yeah, but he's also a jealous God. He's a good God, but he's also a jealous God, and he will not coexist with any other gods in your life. They put him next to Dagon. He's like, nah, fam, boom, there goes Dagon. Because every other God has to bow down to him because he alone is God. He alone is Jehovah God. He is the only God. And so he will not coexist with any other gods in your life. Now, you might be thinking, but Pastor John, I don't have any other gods in my life. Let's inspect that a little bit. Some of you have a God called money. You make every single decision in your life, not looking through the word and the truth of God, but through your wallet. You make every decision based on your bank account. And and, and you work way more than you should for the love of money. You sacrifice your family on the ambition of your career. You're not generous with the church and you're just stingy with people, okay? You're just nasty to be around. You don't even tip good because you're just like a bad tip. And you think you think you think you have your money, but here's the truth: your money has you. Your money has you, and that's the God that you worship. Some of you are like, "Tell him, Pastor Josh. Give it to them, Pastor Josh." Well, let me tell you about another God that I see. Too many people worship the God of other people's approval. We 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 live our life really based on other people's opinions and other people's approval of you. You won't make a decision without, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? What if they start talking at the church? Nobody cares, all right? No one's going to talk about you, all right? And so many people are, are consumed with the God of other people's approval. I'm going to peel back just a little bit further right now. I'm going to get up in your face right now. And I do it because I love you. I do. But it's like picking a scab. Y'all ready? There's this terrible little app. And it lets me know when you've really surrendered yourself to the God of other people's approval. There's this little app on your phone that you can install that will track people that are following you on social media. You'll get a note anytime someone unfollows you on social media. I call that the insecurity app. I told you it was going to hurt. I, I, I call that the insecurity. Like, because it's like, you are so consumed with other people's opinions that you've got a tracker or phone letting you know when someone does or doesn't like your photo. And what is happening is you are giving up your God-given identity for the identity of other people that they place on you. That's the God of other people's approval. All right, have I made my point? 
So yeah, you, you don't have temples to these things, but you behave in such a way that you worship these things. They are given so much worth in your life. And you can't live like that because the Lord will not coexist with any other gods in your life. He's a jealous God. He, he alone will be worshiped all by himself and he will not share his glory with anyone else. Man, I made the tent quiet this morning. Just a minute ago, you were having fun until I got in your face. I'm out of it now, okay? But God doesn't want to coexist with other gods in your life. He wants to be singularly worshiped. He wants to be the object of your affection. He wants all of your attention. But when he does that, his presence is going to come into your life. And here's what God's presence in your life does. It begins to expose other areas in your life that need to be worked on. And I thank God for that. I know some of you are like, no, God, leave me alone. Like, like don't shine a light in there. No, don't look in there. Like, don't, don't open that door. But, but you get to the place where you say, like David said, search me, oh God. I want you to search my heart. I want you to look at my soul. I want you to look at my life. And I want you to show me things that I've got to get rid of i don't want to live with those things i don't want to carry those things those things are dominating me rather than your presence and god will do it but you've got to welcome him in you've got to say god i want your presence in my life god i welcome your presence in your in my life many people would rather come to church well pastor josh ain't that the same thing no it's not you can come and sit in church and never experience the presence of god Everyone says they want the presence of God until he starts to reveal the things in their life that need to change. And that's typically when we're like, oh, no, 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 we're done with this. You know, it's like, I don't want any more of that. But, but, but God wants to bring his presence into your life so that he continues to make you and shape you into the identity that he has placed on you. He's given you a plan. He's given you a purpose. He's given you identity. But he's not going to coexist with those other little gods in your life. You're going to have to make a choice. So let's get back to the story because I know you're getting uncomfortable with me. So the Philistines, they got rid of the ark. And the Bible says that they took the ark to the house of a guy by the name of Abinadab. And they parked the ark there. It's funny because I get this mental image of like my uncles. You know what I mean? It's like they parked this ark like it was a 54 Chevy that needed to be worked on. And they just dumped it in the garage. You know what I mean? Like that's my, they're like, put the ark there, put a tarp over it. And we're just going to leave it there. Lighthouse, the ark of God, which represented the presence of God here on earth, sat in Abinadab's garage for 20 years. 20 years. That's a long time. I mean, I know some of you might be competing because you've got a vehicle in your garage that long or more, but I mean, like, like that's a long time to just leave it there. And finally, David, when he becomes king, he's like, nah, 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 nah. We, we, we're going to get this thing out. We're going to get the Ark of the Covenant, and we're going to bring it to Jerusalem because that's where it belongs. So the Bible says, and I love the Bible. I'm telling you, family, if you are not reading the Bible, you are missing out on so much good stuff because the Bible says, David says, okay, Let's build a brand new cart and let's go pick up the ark. So they built this beautiful cart. It was great. It was beautiful. Like, like if it was Donald Trump, a huge car. You know what I mean? It's like it's a great big beautiful car. You know what I mean? It's like they go and they pick up the ark. And it's like as they pick up the ark, the Bible says that as they're bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, it hits a bump. And, and there's this guy named Uzzah. He's Abinadab's son. He holds out his hand to prevent the ark from falling. And as he touches the ark, the Bible says that Uzzah is, is, is just killed on the spot. Dang. That's savage, huh? Like, like Uzzah's just trying to help. He's just trying to help. And because he touches the ark, he's killed. Think about that for a second. I mean, like, 
God was not playing games anymore. Once David said it's time for a move of God, everything began to shift. And that's a powerful and a weighted statement right there. When God begins to move in your life, things are going to shift. They have to shift. And you need to know this. Worked in your last season won't work in your next season. Uzzah was, Uzzah was probably freaking out like, why, why in the world did, how did I get stricken dead? Why would Uzzah die? Well, like I said, Uzzah was Abinadab's son. He was playing probably hide and go seek with his mother in the garage where the ark was and was hiding behind the ark. I mean, Abin, he had, Uzzah had become familiar with the ark of the covenant. Everybody say familiar. He had gotten so familiar with it. And Lighthouse, you can never get familiar with the presence of God. You should never get familiar with the presence of God. And I'm talking about when it is familiar, it's when you begin to start treating it with a lack of reverence. It's just familiar. I mean, I I can go and do my thing and just come in the church and come in any old way because it's familiar to you. I, I don't really have to really try and live for God. He knows my heart. He knows my heart. And we can get so familiar with God's presence. And what you don't even realize is that the thing that used to work then will not work with where God is going now that he's on the move because they're moving the ark. It's a move of God. The ark is moving. And what worked yesterday isn't going to work for today. And here's another thing. What works today won't work for tomorrow. You have to follow the move of God. You have to stay with him and you have to follow him because as he begins to move, things begin to change and you need to be ready to change with it too. You will go through seasons in life, Lighthouse Church, I want you to hear me good. You're gonna go through seasons in life where God's gonna request different things out of you. Your season has changed and you need something different in this season. The Lord taught this to Israel in the wilderness and this is why he gave them manna. You're wondering, what in the world is manna? I thought that was a Mexican rock band. No, manna. (laughs) All the Hispanics in the room got that. Sorry, Sasha. But um, (laughs) manna was something that God intended in the wilderness where every morning they'd wake up and God would have bread for them. I'm just going to call it bread. He would have bread for them on the floor and they'd pick it up and that would be their meal for the day. But he said, at the end of the day, throw that away because tomorrow I'm giving you more bread. And some people got like, you know, the stingy people I was talking about, they were like hoarding the bread. And so they were like, I I need extra bread. And then they'd go to the bread the next day. It would be all moldy. There'd be like worms on it. And he's like, I told you every morning I'm going to give you bread. So just take what you need for the day and don't try to hoard anything for tomorrow. You know what he was teaching them? He was teaching them the concept of coming to God daily. You come to me for daily bread. In the wilderness, it was manna. Today, it's called devotion. This is why every single day before you get your day started, you've got to meet with God. You've got to spend time in prayer. You've got to spend time in his word. You've got to be alone with him because you're going to be dealing with something crazy and yesterday's blessing ain't going to carry you for today's crazy. So you've got to get a fresh word from God every single day. And, 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 and poor Uzzah, he was just trying to do the right thing. But in one season, it was okay to touch the ark, but in the next season, it wasn't. And he learned a very hard lesson of making sure to follow the move of God. Now, let me get to the last point here. As I said, 
Uzzah stretches out his hand and he dies. God just kills him in an instant. And so they're like, well, let's put the, put the ark away for now. So they park the ark. They find someone else. Open up your garage. We're going to put the ark. They put the ark in someone else's garage. The Bible says for the next three months, David is trying to figure out what did we do wrong? And meanwhile, the <laughs> Obed-Edom, that's the name of the man they put the ark in Obed-Edom's house. Meanwhile, He's getting blessed like crazy. Like he's having windfalls financially. He's growing crops that he didn't plant. I mean, like wine showing up from vineyards that he didn't even know he had. He, you know, a rich aunt died. He got an inheritance. I mean, Obed is being, Obed Edom is being blessed. And the Bible says that when David heard about it, he's like, yo, we got to figure this out. Clearly, wherever that ark goes, there's blessing. And so the priests tell him, hey, we got to move it the way that he told us to move it. And the way we moved it in the wilderness was we carried it. The priests would carry that ark wherever they'd move. And they said, that nice cart, beautiful cart, huge cart, put it away. I ain't going to work. We we need to do this the old way. And what we learn from that is this. The principles of God are unchanging, but the methods change. There, There are some things that are principles. Somebody say principle. This is why you've got to get in your word, Lighthouse, for, for, more, for, for more than just the entertainment that you've been afforded today. I mean, like, like you've got to find the principles of God because there are, there are some things with God that are unchanging, like, and then there's some things that are just methods. They're methods, and, and they're going to change, and it's okay to change those things, but it's never okay to change a principle of God. It's never okay to change a principle of God. So, you know, what's a method? I'm going to give you a commercial inside of my message here. It's summertime at Lighthouse, and I'm going to tell you the same thing that I told you last summer. Come comfortable, all right? So y'all want to wear shorts, y'all wear flip-flops, y'all going ahead. That's a method, all right? Uh, That's nothing that's going to detract God or anything like that. You come comfortable. But when we get here, we're going to honor the presence of God. We're going to worship him with all of our hearts because that's principle. I just gave you a very, like, natural example. And I have to do that because sometimes some of the men are like, hey, could you remind my wife it's okay to wear shorts? It's okay for your husband to wear shorts. All right, don't bother me. I get a little, I can't, but you can. Go for it. Anyway, I was like, I was back there with Pastor Phil and I was looking at Victor Tapia. You don't know him because he's working on there. He's broadcaster. Let's give a let's round of applause for Victor. Our, he's making our live stream happen. But he looks so comfortable in his shorts and his Nikes. I was like, dang, I'm wear shorts. I'm hot. You know, anyway, I've totally detracted. Anyway. Some are in the tent. So there are some principles of God that are unchanging, and it's okay if our methods change. But David realized that he was butting up against a principle. There was a reverence that he didn't bring with him. So when they figured out how to do it, they said, all right, let's do this the right way. Uh, let me get the band up here. I'm going to wind it down. If, I, if they don't get up here, I'll just keep talking. So come on and wind me down so we can go home. Um, and, and so once they figure out the right way to do it, it was wild. The Bible says they, they got the ark, the priests got the ark, and they would take six steps, they would stop, and they would sacrifice. They would offer up sacrifice to the Lord. Pick up the ark, walk six steps, put it down, offer sacrifices. Pick up the ark, take six steps. Lighthouse, this went for miles. They did this for miles. There was a lot of sacrifices made the day that they brought the ark of the covenant and brought it to Jerusalem. But that was a principle. And, and David did that. I want you to get this. All of those sacrifices were requisite to bring back the presence of God. 
And, and when you are trying to get the presence of God in your life, he will ask you of a sacrifice. He'll ask you to lay some things down. He will. I'm not here to tell you them. I know some of you are like, all right, pastor, tell me, what's my list? What can I do and what can I not do? No, that's for you and God. That's for you and God. I'm sorry if you still have some PTSD from your previous religious church, but that's between you and God. I think the Bible is very clear on the things that you need to lay down. Sometimes God will ask you to lay down more than he'll ask your neighbor to lay down. And it doesn't make you better. It just makes you unique. And so if you're having to give up some stuff that your neighbor's not giving up, praise God for your freedom and praise God for their freedom. Because this is an individual relationship that we have with God. Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Are you with me, Lighthouse Church? I know we've, some of us come from a system where we want everyone to look alike, dress alike, behave alike, talk alike. But God's unique. He likes color. He likes texture. He's giving you an individual identity. All I can tell you to do is do what God is calling you to do. And don't judge anyone else for what God is calling them to do. Seasons. There was, there was a season in my life where I was not a fun date. I'm talking about when my wife and I, we were dating because there was a season in my life where I had given up movies. Season. I was, not, I was a terrible date. We had, just couldn't take her to go watch a movie or nothing. You know what I mean? Like not even at the house. You know, everyone would go watch a movie. I'd go in the room and pray. It's kind of weird. But anyway, <laughs> season. Just a season. <laughs> in different seasons, God will ask different things of you. And if David was going to bring the presence of God back, God said, you got to, every six steps, you make a sacrifice. But I'm going to close with this. I want you to get this. For 20 years, Everybody say 20 years. For 20 years, they worshiped God without his presence being there. For 20 years, the ark was parked in a garage. Sure, Samuel prophesied. Sure, Samuel offered up sacrifices. Sure, Saul fought and won many battles. Never in Saul's reign did he ever think to go and get the ark. He was fine with the ark being left in a garage, but that was indicative of his relationship with God. He hated being challenged, even he was being challenged by God. But David, on the other hand, said, if the presence of God doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. David had a heart that searched after God. This is why he was God's chosen king. Because David passionately pursued after God. When God spoke to Samuel, he said, I've chosen a man after my own heart. That's what separated David. David was not content to show up to church on a Sunday under the tent and go through another religious experience and not experience the presence of God. He said, if God's presence isn't here, I don't want to be here. If God's presence isn't in my home, it's not a home. Listen to me, Lighthouse. You've got to figure out what God's presence is for your family. But some of you are trying to parent without God's presence. Good luck. Some of you are trying to raise a family in this world without God's presence. Good luck. But, but I've just cried out like Joshua. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
That's what we're going to do. And, and, and we're going to sacrifice things that we're going to have to sacrifice. There's certain things I'm not going to watch. My kids don't understand. They don't need to understand. They're learning obedience today. It's like, no. I mean, I'm not sacrificing the presence of God for entertainment. I'm not sacrificing the presence of God for culture. I'm not sacrificing the presence of God so, so that some people feel affirmed. I want God's presence in my life. This is the only thing that I want in my life. And and I want you to get this, Lighthouse Church. We're not going to do this without God's presence. Last thing, free rider, you can be religious and not experience God's presence. You can come every single Sunday to the tent and not experience God's presence. It's a choice that you're going to have to make. Worship can be good. Team can be crushing it. Altar call can be happening. And if you're not experiencing God's presence, that's a place you, you, you are at a place of decision where you have got to decide, do I value the presence of God over everything else in my life? I, I uh, come on up here. I, I was thinking the other day as I was driving and um, just thinking about everything that's about to happen here at Lighthouse Church. I got some good news for you. We're going into the city this week with our first set of plans to get our permits so we can start making some dust. Come on, y'all ready for it? We're going to be sure to take some pictures and share it with you guys. We are going to celebrate everything. You know what I mean? Like first-time parents. You know what I mean? I remember first-time parents. Like, you celebrate the first poop. Weird. But you're just like, look. You know, it's like, God, what's wrong with you? We're going to be doing all of that. All right? So, you know, first time ever doing this stuff. And so we're going to be celebrating. You see some pictures. But here's what I've come to realize. There have been so many people that prayed for a church like Lighthouse to come to this city. And I'm not saying there aren't great churches in their city. There are amazing churches in this city. Amazing churches in this city. But there wasn't one like this. Every church has a sound and an expression. And, 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 and this was something that God needed in this city. So much so that he moved us from San Marcos to Vista. But when we announced that we were coming to Vista, the amount of people that said we were praying for a church in Vista. I had, this couple told me that they would walk they, they would walk around this whole community of Vista. They were going on prayer walks, praying for a church like this to come into this city. The, the, the church that sold us this building, they would gather and pray and pray and pray and pray for a church to come. And we showed up. And they said, you don't understand. There are sometimes you guys will unknowingly do something that are exactly what we prayed for. And God said to me, before I answer your prayers, you're going to be the answer to someone else's prayers. Before I answer your prayer, because I got some prayers. I tell you, I, I got some bold prayers. When we did our two-year anniversary, it felt like our one-year anniversary because of COVID and all that and implications. Pastor Mark Francie got up, or you may or may not have been here that day, but Pastor Mark Francie prophesied that in three years we'd have a building 10 times the size of this building. I received that word. I like danced. I was like, oh, it's coming. I did the math. I said, 70,000, I'll take it. 70,000 square feet, let's go. You know what I mean? I'm just like all about it. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. Uh, but, but it's praying for God's will over our church. But he reminded me, Josh, before we answer your prayers, you're going to be the answer to someone else's prayer. And so I believe Lighthouse and where we are headed and where we are going is an answer to someone else's prayer. And sometimes God is going to use you to walk out that 
before he will walk out what he's going to do in you. Uh, he's, this is the second time God has done this to me. I'm being very vulnerable here. I'm almost done, I promise. This is the second time God has done this to me. The first time he did this to me was when my pastor kept asking me if I would quit my job and come work at the church. And I was like, no, 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 no. I make too much money. No, thank you. I'm good. I'm good. And then God spoke to me in a service, like, like, like hard. And he said, if you, I'm not going to allow you to see your vision come to fruition until you go and serve another man's vision. I was like, dang, God. Okay, fine. It's like that, huh? <laughs> it was one of those. I was like, sheesh. Okay, fine. So, so I've been on, I told my pastor, I'm going to give you one year. I mean, like, that was in 2013. I haven't left. You know what I mean? It's just like, that's, that's the way God works. So this is the second time God has said, before you see your prayer answered, you're going to be the answer to someone else's prayer. And guys, this isn't just me. I'm talking about all of you here that call Lighthouse Church your home. We're about to step into a season of the miraculous. We're about to step into the season of, of just overflow and abundance. And God is going to do so many incredible things. Next week, don't miss next Sunday. Don't ever miss a Sunday, but especially next Sunday. <laughs> Unless you're on vacation. Next Sunday, it's going to be incredible. Don't miss it. We've got an incredible experience that we're going to share with you guys. But we're getting ready to start raising monies for the renovation because, like I said, permits are going in this week. Uh, the last Saturday of the month, where are all the men in the room? Say amen, all the men. Amen. A little deeper. Amen. All right, the last Saturday, don't, don't plan a party, nothing, okay? Not even a tea party with your daughter. Like, the last Saturday of the month, we're going to start doing demo work. I'd love to see all the men of Lighthouse here. Y'all ready to do some demo work? Y'all been asking for it. Like, when we get, we start in the last Saturday of the month, all right? So we're going to start doing work the last Saturday of July. We will feed you. Just show up, all right? Show up. I mean, if, if you ain't got work boots, go buy, I'll give you three weeks to buy some work boots. So at least you know, like, you look like you know what you're doing. I'm kind of preaching to myself. I don't have work boots. I have running shoes. So just do what you got to do. You got three weeks to get yourself right, all right? So... We're going to begin to build out here. But can I just share with you this story, though? Because it's going to take a miracle for us to, like, finish the construction because we're swinging hard, so we got to raise a lot of money. Out of nowhere, out of nowhere, this lady from our old small group that my wife and I led, she calls me. She said, Pastor Josh, it's been so long since I've talked to you. I'm like, it has? What's up? How's it going? Well, I know you're about to enter into some construction, and I can't give you any money, but I want to give you a boat. <laughs> I'm like, a boat? I've got to give you a boat. Like, for me, <laughs> you know? I'm all getting all greedy. I'm like... And she said, look, I don't have any money to give to the church, but I have a boat that we don't use. You can take it, you can sell it, and you can give it to the church. So that's exactly what we intend to do. We're going to take the boat, we're going to sell the boat, and all that money is going to go directly to the build-out of the church. And it's just wild that already God is getting ready to just like, random, we've not talked to this lady in years, in years. And she's like, I know you're doing construction, I'm giving you a boat. And um, she's funny, she's like, but I want you to sail in it before you donate. I'm like, I don't even have a vehicle to tow it in. Sorry, it's going, it's going straight to sail. Um, next week, I'm going to be sharing more about how God has been working. But listen, Lighthouse, I don't want to share my story with you. I want you to share your story with me. I want God to do something supernatural in your life where you're going to know, like, dude, this is a move of God. And he's doing this so that we can supernaturally fund the kingdom of God and the expansion of his kingdom and what he's going to do. That story gets better. I'll tell you the last part of the story. When they said, we're giving you the boat, then, they, then as a follow-up phone call, it was like, oh, pastor, 
By the way, we're also sending you $5,000 for the construction of your church. I'm like, what? I've not talked to you in how long? And you're just going to send money? And you're going to send a boat? And it's just like wild to me. But this is how God works. When we move, David said, let's bring the presence. And that was the move of God. I want you right there where you're at to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I'm just going to pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for all that you are doing. I thank you, God, for your plan. I thank you, God, because you have a purpose for our life. You are doing exceedingly abundantly above all that we can begin to ask or think or imagine. God, you are good. And I believe we're stepping into a season of supernatural favor here at Lighthouse. And God, I just pray that we prioritize your presence through it all. Through it all, Father. That nothing that we do would be in our name, in the name of the church, but that it would be done in your name and for your glory alone. God, I pray that as you see our hearts chasing after your presence, that you would open up the windows of heaven, that you would pour out supernatural blessing, that it would be more than we could even contain. Would you do it, God? Would you do it, God? We're ready for you. We're hungry for you. And we choose your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, let's all stand up on our feet. Let's raise our hands right now. Let's lean into worship a few more minutes. Come on, let's just worship God all together in this place.